Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The Volume. UFC 297 is bringing a stacked fight guard to Toronto and throwing down on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook the official sports betting partner of UFC, will take your excitement level north of the border. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. We all know these UFC cards are stacked from top to bottom, so you will have a great opportunity to make bets on every fight from the opening bout all the way to the main event. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with the code MANIX. New customers bet just 5 bucks on UFC 297 and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash MMA for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. I want to welcome in everyone that's listening on the podcast feed. If you are not a subscriber, get over to the feed, hit that subscribe button, make sure you get this podcast, sometimes two podcasts, in your feed every single week. So, we've got a great show lined up for you. Keith Eidek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com, friend of the podcast, one of the best insiders in this business. We get into all the news of this past week, from Archer Betterbev's big win 
to the future of a better Biev against Dimitri Bivol fight. We've got some thoughts on Terrence Crawford, who might be looking for another opponent in the aftermath of the most recent eye surgery for Errol Spence. So Keith and I cover all the news of the week in the first part of this podcast. A little bit later, Michaela Mayer, the former unified 130-pound champion. She's got a big fight this weekend over in the UK, moving all the way up to 147 pounds to challenge Natasha Jonas for her uh, welterweight title. I talked to Michaela about that fight, how she has become kind of a UK fighter over the last couple of years. I also talked to Michaela about USA Boxing's decision to allow transgender women to compete against cisgender women in their competitions. Michaela, of course, is a former U.S. Olympian, so she's got some thoughts on that. Great conversation with Michaela Mayer. Before we get to that, I do have to weigh in on the recent rulings by the WBC and the WBO when it comes to Alicia Baumgartner. Now, back in July, in the aftermath of Alicia Baumgartner's win over Christina Linadartu, uh, it was revealed that she tested positive for two banned substances. Now, Baumgartner has vehemently denied that this these substances could have gotten into her system. Uh, she has pointed out correctly that she was the one that was pushing for advanced testing. So she has been aggressively defending herself over the last six, seven months. Uh, and in, in the last week, the WBC ruled that Baumgartner will be allowed to keep her 130-pound title. Now, the rationale from the WBC is that even though they are not disputing the validity of the positive test, they are saying that, in their opinion, Baumgartner did not intentionally put this substance into her body, and therefore she is going to be allowed to keep her title. She's going to be on probation, has to undergo strict drug testing over the next six months. Some other criteria pushed in there, but the bottom line is that Baumgartner is going to keep her WBC belt. She is also going to keep her WBO title. The WBO effectively just followed suit and piggybacked on the WBC ruling and said the exact same thing. So she's going to be allowed to keep her titles. Now, this has come with some pushback from people in boxing, most notably Lou DiBella, who is the promoter for Christina Linodartu, who has made the case that, look, even if it was unintentionally ingested, there was a foreign substance, an illegal substance in her body. And as a result, the fight should be overturned to a no contest and Baumgartner should lose her titles and Linodartu, a former champion, should be allowed to compete for at least one of those vacant titles. It's kind of hard to argue with that logic because while I'm not making any assumptions, I'm not making any declarations or, or, or coming to any conclusions about how it came to be that Baumgartner tested positive. The reality is it she did. And neither the WBC or the WBO is refuting the validity of that positive test. So it, it just strikes me as strange, beyond strange, that you are saying that this test is accurate, 
but you are not going to take the world title away from the person that tested positive. I can't make any sense of that or figure out how that makes any sense. This isn't about, to be clear, any kind of suspension for Alicia Baumgartner because the reality is when it comes to this kind of first offense, suspensions are often for six months, right? So Canelo Alvarez tested positive for a banned substance back in 2018. He got a six-month suspension. More recently, Michelle Rivera tested positive for a banned substance. He got a six-month suspension. So six months has already passed since that uh, that date. So it's not about suspending Alicia Baumgartner. It's about whether or not she should be allowed to retain her titles. And the WBC's explanation, as is often the case, just makes no sense whatsoever. Now, I reached out to Mauricio Suleiman, the head of the WBC, to ask him to explain at least how this banned substance could have been accidentally ingested. Remember, when the Connor Ben situation came up, the WBC ruled that their scientists, their experts... Uh, believed that it was contaminated eggs that caused Connor Ben to test positive for clomiphene. Now, people can believe that. They cannot believe that. It certainly is subjective, but there was at least an explanation there. There was no explanation in this statement uh, about how this positive test could have been, uh, could have popped accidentally. So it was very confusing, to say the least. But I'm saving my strongest reaction for the Michigan Unarmed Combat Commission, which is the state commission that was overseeing this uh, fight between Baumgartner and Leonard Artu. The Michigan Unarmed Combat Commission has embarrassed itself over the last six months because they've said nothing. (laughs) Like, I'm trying to find the best way to articulate this, but whether it's reporters like myself that are calling and emailing uh, or a promoter like Lou DiBella and his staff, which have called repeatedly trying to get answers as to how the Michigan commission is going to handle this positive test. They have just been ghosted. There has been no response from the Michigan commission about how it will deal with this positive test. Cause the Michigan commission is really the only body here that can overturn the result of that fight. And understandably, Debella, Litterdatu, they have pushed for answers on this and they've gotten nothing. I, I don't get it. And my message to fighters that might be considering fighting in Michigan, this has to give you reason for pause because if you're going up against someone and there is a positive drug test, why should you believe that they will handle it in a professional way. So anyone that wants to fight in, say, Detroit, which has done some fights, Literacy Arena, Clarissa Shields has done some fights there. Um, why would you do it? Why would you do it? If they're going to handle it this unprofessionally, I-, I don't know why any fighter would trust being involved in a fight there. So again, it- it's not... The situation now is not about Baumgartner and her future because... Regardless of whether or not she had her titles, a suspension wouldn't have lasted longer than six months. She's going to be free to fight anytime in in the foreseeable future. My issue is how this has been handled by the sanctioning bodies, which issue confusing statements that make you wonder 
just how much they actually care about drug testing in boxing. And the State Athletic Commission in Michigan, which has been, you know, absent from this discussion and really needs to come forward and make a statement on this uh, sooner rather than later to 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 create some resolution. I say that on because I've talked to people on both sides here, on Baumgartner's side and on Leonard Daughtry's side. Both sides want the Michigan Commission to do something. They want them to say something. And right now, the Michigan Commission is like an absentee landlord. They have not been involved in this process whatsoever. So that's that's disheartening because if there is a sport where you need to take drug testing seriously, it's boxing. Lives are on the line. You need to take it seriously. And the behavior by the WBC, the WBO, and the Michigan Commission tells me that they do not take it seriously. So we'll see what happens in the weeks and months ahead when it comes to uh, the commission and what they will say on this matter. All right, let's get into it. Keith Eideck, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He joins me next. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. All right, Keith Eideck joins me. BoxingScene.com. Good friend of the podcast. If you are watching clips of this on youtube you will notice that keith is wearing a showtime championship boxing sweatshirt a, a collector's item now keith uh that uh now is does it become vintage yet is is it a vintage sweatshirt given that it's been you know a little under a month since showtime has exited boxing do we do we call it vintage I don't know what we call it, but let's start a bidding war for the for a used sweatshirt. <laughs> a fat guy in New Jersey. Let's let's get it going. Come on. Um 
it is it is brutally cold here in New Jersey today. So uh, got to layer up here. You know what I mean? I went outside I'm to bring in you, the right? garbage can before. You know that that was brutally cold. Fifteen feet from the garage to the street. You know. I am, you know, a few hundred miles north of you in Boston right now, and it is cold as well up here. Still not as much snow as I thought we'd be getting at this point, but uh, definitely cold as well. So multi-layered here uh, in uh, in the Northeast. Um, so a few topics I want to get into uh, with you, Keith. I, I do want to kind of get your thoughts on something I began the show with, which is the curiosity around the rulings regarding the positive drug tests with Alicia Baumgartner. Um, as I said at the top of the show, you know, tested positive for a couple of banned sub, uh, substances. The WBC and the WBO this week came out with some rulings on this that effectively affirmed that they believe the test results to be valid, but they believe that the substances were not ingested for performance-enhancing reasons. Meanwhile, the state of Michigan has been silent on this matter. They are the, you know, the, the state governing body when it comes to, uh, you know, this fight which took place this past July in Michigan. Uh, it, it just to me, Keith, it it feels just strange that 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 stuff like this is is not being treated. I think with the gravity that it should be. So I guess I just want to get your reaction to kind of how this is all played out over the last couple of days. Yeah, Chris, it almost begs the question that we often ask. I mean, people who cover boxing, people, who, uh, boxing fans, people who are in, um, invested in the sport in whichever way, why even bother doing drug testing if you're not going to punish the people who fail tests? Now, I, look, th there are all kinds of reasons that people can come up with about why they tested positive for substance X or substance Y, uh, this is not the first time that the WBC has, um, you know, not found a fighter guilty of testing positive for something or however you want to frame it. You know, Oscar Valdez was allowed to move forward with the fight. Uh, what was it two, two and a half years ago or so now? Um, if there's not some uniformity among the commissions, and of course, people are always clamoring for a national commission, which I don't think we're ever going to get. Uh, but if there's not some uniformity enforcing these rules, uh, and administering these these testing procedures, I don't think we're going to get what we want out of drug testing. And that's really unfortunate because, Chris, as we've mentioned many times on the podcast and elsewhere, uh, people are risking their lives every time they go up those steps. And the people who are doing it cleanly deserve every opportunity to know that the opponent that they're facing is as clean as he or she is. Yeah, there's there's few, if any, other sports that drug testing needs to be taken as seriously as it needs to be taken in boxing. And unfortunately right now it doesn't seem like it's being taken as seriously, at least not as seriously uh, as it should. Um, all right. I want to talk about what we saw this past weekend with Archer Betterbiev because Archer Betterbiev uh, continues to be, you know, the most intimidating force in boxing. I think that's a, a reasonably fair statement to make. He goes up in the title defense against Callum Smith. There were a lot of people, Keith, that thought this fight was going to be, Competitive. Callum Smith had a couple of knockouts since moving up to 175 pounds. He had some size. He had some some length. He had a good trainer and Buddy McGirt in his corner. And then Archer Betterbiev basically walked right through him. I think you maybe could have given Callum Smith one round in that fight. Archer Betterbiev put Callum down twice, the first two times in Callum's career as an amateur or pro. 
that he has been down uh, before Buddy McGirt hopped up on the ring apron and uh, threw in the towel. So you've seen a lot of Archer Betterbiev over the last couple of years, Keith. A lot of impressive wins by Archer Betterbiev. What did you think of this one? Well, Chris, unfortunately, we don't see enough of Archer Betterbiev because he's had a multitude of injuries. <laughs> That's and he's true. Only, and That's he's true. only he's he's been a professional for ten and a half years, and he's only fought twenty times. He, of course, had a pretty long legal entanglement with his former promoter, Yvonne Michel, which put him on the shelf a little bit, but it's mostly been various injuries. He had a knee injury and a shoulder injury and a rib injury, et cetera, et cetera. In this case, an infection in his jaw, which delayed this fight four and a half months. So we've been robbed to some degree of seeing how great Arthur Betterbiev could be on a more consistent basis. What we saw Saturday night, Chris, is, as you asked, was a pretty amazing performance. You know, the only thing I would say is that Callum Smith is a very good fighter, a former 168-pound world champion. Um, you know, very, very good. But both times that he stepped up to what you would consider the elite level, and I don't consider George Groves to be the elite level, when he stepped up and faced Canelo Alvarez, he lost 11 rounds, 10 rounds. In fairness to him, he took that fight on practically four weeks' notice for the payday in, in the heart of the pandemic, which, mm -hmm. look, if you take the payday, you have to whatever comes along with it, you have to accept. And Callum Smith did do that. He was not making excuses or anything. But be that as it may, he lost a lopsided decision to Canelo Alvarez. And now when he fought Artur Betterbiev, you could argue that he won the second round. Uh, I think he did win the second round. Maybe he won the sixth round. I think, he, I think he got credit on two of the scorecards. I believe they gave him two of the first six rounds. So if you just, if you didn't watch the fight and you went back and read about it on Boxing Scene or ESPN.com or wherever... You would say, oh, well, it must have been reasonably competitive because he was down 58-56 on two scorecards and 59-55 on the other card. So, you know, Callum Smith must have done some things well in this fight. I certainly didn't get that sense. I got the sense that Callum Smith didn't quite land the type of left hook. Uh, he certainly didn't land anything flush where you would have liked to have seen him land that shot and see how Arthur Betterbiev react to it, reacted to it because Betterbiev has been down twice in his career uh, against uh, Zach Page and, uh, of course, against Callum Johnson, which was discussed ad nauseum before the fight because Callum Smith used to train with Callum Johnson, actually sparred with him before Callum Johnson fought Betterbiev. They were trained by Joe Gallagher at the time. Um, but he didn't do any of the things that a lot of people thought that Callum Smith was going to do in the fight, and that's credit to Betterbiev doing the things that he did. Because, Chris, the thing that I think I was most impressed with with better BF, we know he can punch. I mean, of course, you know, we know he's a destructive force and all of that. I was impressed with his defense more than anything mm. because I thought he was more effective defensively in this fight than I had seen him against other top-level guys, including Callum Johnson. That probably had to do with the amount of respect that better BF had for Callum Smith. He was he was much more responsible defensively, didn't really get hit with a lot of clean shots. And so maybe what he and his trainer, Mark Ramsey, have been saying, that he's getting better, even though he's going to turn 39 years old on Sunday, he's getting better with age. Because better be have told me he still thinks the way he feels and the way his trainers are telling him he looks in the gym now, that he can fight three, four, five more years at this level. And I think people would welcome that. Yeah, you're right about the defense. I was really impressed with how he operated defensively. I was really impressed with his game plan coming into that fight. I forget what round it was, but... Buddy McGirt was urging uh, Callum Smith to go to the body more because, as Buddy was saying, like 
Archer's onto your game plan. He knows you're a catch and shoot fighter. He's 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 aware of it. He's not going to give you that. So you've got to try to mix things up and do something different. And that tells you something. I mean, as strong and powerful and destructive as Better BF is, he does bring some nuance to the game. He brings some some finesse to the game with what he does defensively and how he and Mark Ramsey approach each fight. So that was that was a really impressive overall performance uh, by Archer Betterbiev. Um, and now it seems like we're going to get the big one, which is Archer Betterbiev against Dimitri Bebo. We've been talking about this fight, Keith, for years now. Both these guys have been champions at light heavyweight for a number of years, but Saudi Arabia wants that fight. What Saudi Arabia wants, it tends to get when it comes to boxing matches. And frankly, I think that Saudi Arabia is kind of the right place for that fight, you could you could do it in Quebec City or Montreal, where Better BF has built a a pretty respectable fan base. But the money is just going to be so much more significant uh, over in the Middle East. So that's a fight that I think could happen as early as June. And if it does happen, Keith, I, I don't know. I mean, watching Better BF perform against Callum Smith, even though Bevel's a different fighter and a much better fighter, and Certainly a more disciplined fighter, I think, than Callum Smith. I, I just sit there, I keep thinking to myself, like, how do you keep Archer Better BF off you for 12 rounds? Bebo's got a good chin. He's got great footwork, but Better BF is just relentless. And he showed you in that Smith fight where it doesn't take much for Better BF to hurt you. That first punch that put Callum Smith down, that was a really short right hand, a really short one. Not the kind of punch that you get full extension on you, and it's obvious that's a, a knockout blow. Better BF has just so much power and can hurt you in so many different ways. As much as I like Bevel, I, I kind of favor Better BF going into that fight. Yeah, I would favor Better BF as well, but I think, as you said about the shot that he caught Callum Smith with, with I think it was an accumulation of punches. He, had mm. caught, he hadn't hurt him before that, as you said, but he he's breaking you down. And then he catches him with a good right hand on the side of the head in the right spot. And I think it knocked his equilibrium off. And that's uh, that was the beginning of the end for Callum Smith. But as you said, Chris, we're it looks like we're finally going to get this fight. The reason, for the most part, that we didn't get it, one, it belonged in Russia, right? So for the last two years, when people were talking about it, it couldn't be in Russia. Once Russia invaded Ukraine, there were not going to be any, certainly not any high-profile fights that were sanctioned by sanctioning bodies, which... Of course, this one would be sanctioned by all four in Russia. So that's where it really belonged because I understand that Better Biev has lived in Montreal for the last 10 plus years. Uh, he's a Canadian citizen now and all that kind of stuff, but he's Russian. He's from Russia. He's Russian, yes. No matter what the WBC says, he's Russian. Right. And Dmitry Bivol has uh, born in Kyrgyzstan, but of course has lived in Russia most of his life. Right. Although DAZN and other people were insistent on saying he's from Indio, California for reasons unbeknownst to anyone because you're not fooling anyone. He's from Russia. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it doesn't mean that Betterbiev and Bivol are responsible for the atrocities of the Russian government. But the fight couldn't happen in Russia where they were, really would have put up a lot of money for it to happen. The money, according to what Bob Arum and others had told me, to have the fight in Montreal was just, or Quebec City, just wasn't quite there to satisfy both fighters until the Saudi Arabian government came along. And of course, they're not going to put it in Montreal or Quebec City. They're going to put it right where they want it at Kingdom Arena in Riyadh, which is understandable. They're paying the money. You can have it in Turkey Al-Sheikh's kitchen if you want to. I mean, he's, he'll, it'll be where he says it is, whether people like it or not. He's 
they're the ones printing the money over there for the time being. So that's where the fight's going to be. And Better Behave is Muslim. He's a practicing Muslim. So, you know, it's a Muslim country. So to that point, I guess it makes some sort of sense. But uh, the fight's happening. First and foremost, boxing fans should be happy that this fight is finally happening. Uh, it's long overdue. It looks like the way that Better Behave performs Saturday night, it's not going to be past its due date, that you're not getting an agent Arthur Better Biev against uh, Dimitri Bivol that's more in his prime. And we should be thankful for that as well. It's, it's a high-level fight. It's going to determine the first fully unified light heavyweight champion of the four-belt era. Uh, so let's hope it happens next. We have no reason to believe it isn't because Turkey Alashik has said he wants the fight. Uh, according to what Eddie Hearn has said, uh, the Bivol side of it from a financial standpoint is locked up. So now it's just a matter of Bob Arum and, and the brain trust at top rank getting together with Turkey Alashik and making the deal, which I don't see as an obstacle. So Bob said something to the effect that Better BF won't train during Ramadan, which ends April 9th. Give him a little time after that to, you know, get his body back in order because of the fasting and all that kind of stuff. Get into a real training camp. So maybe we see that fight sometime in the summer in Riyadh. Yeah. Um and Bevel being locked in is is huge because my belief for once Russia was off the table, my belief that perhaps the biggest obstacle to making that fight happen in a place like Quebec City or Montreal or Vegas was the financial demands of Dimitri Bivol. His price just skyrocketed after the win over Canelo Alvarez. After the year he had in 2022, he was you know, looking to, to, to get those kind of paydays for everything and more to fight someone like Dimitri Bivol. Now you have him locked in. I think Better BF will be locked in pretty quickly. We are going to get that fight at some point this summer. Keith, I kind of hope it's like... You know, they've been doing some multi-fight deals over there in Saudi Arabia. Wouldn't mind seeing a two-fight deal for those two guys, at least. Because if you look at the 175-pound division, who else is interesting there? Like, who, who else are you are you saying, like, boy, do I want to see Arthur Betterbeev defend these titles against? Or do I want to see Dimitri Bebel? And they've they've kind of cleaned out the division. Calum Smith is now gone. Zerto Ramirez is now gone. Like, there are some, some prospects. I mean, I guess Joshua Bowatsi, if he gets a win, kind of interesting in over in the UK, but... I wouldn't mind seeing these guys fight in July and then, you know, it, as long as it's a good fight, do it again in, you know, November, December. Yeah, you're right, Chris. The thing I think will be interesting to watch as we move forward through 2024 here, how how does the Fury Usyk fight unfold in the ring? Because they have a two fight deal. So even it doesn't though, sound like they have one anymore, though, does it? Like, it sounds, I don't know. It sounds I, like well, the Saudis well. were kind of like, you know what? We're just going to do the winner of this fight against the winner of AJ Deganu, and we'll figure everything out later. Well, I've been told varying things, I guess, because because I think it's possible that that Joshua would fight Hergovic for the IBF title because the winner of the fight would be stripped of the IBF title if he doesn't fight Hergovic next. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I don't have copies of the contracts or anything, but I what I was starting to say though, Chris, is I think it might be a matter when they're paying all this money, is a rematch appealing? Because mm. let's just say for whatever reason, Fury Usyk is a dud in the ring and one of the fighters wins decisively. Well, then there's no real reason to do the rematch, right? I mean, because then you're kind of stuck with a Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. type of situation, mm. which even though... The Saudis have a lot of money. I don't think they want to necessarily flush it down the toilet per se. So maybe maybe they won't do these types of two fight deals. They'll just because they do have the money to go back to the guys after the fact and try to make a deal. So without committing themselves to certain uh, huge purses, maybe they'll just go about it in a different way.
Mm. Yeah, I, they, they could do a lot of different things. The, the IBF situation with that belt is interesting. The, those new rankings that came out, that number two spot is still vacant for some reason. I'm, I'm not sure why. It, well, I mean, I can guess, but it, it, I assumed Anthony Joshua would take that number two spot after beating uh, Otto Wallen, who held that number two spot in the previous range. Now Philip Hergovich is out there. And I think Hergovich, you know, wanted to fight on that March 8th Saudi card. Doesn't look like he's getting a slot right now. And like the next available guy is like Daniel Dubois, who beat Jarrell Miller, mm -hmm. at least in terms of highest up on that list. Dubois leapfrogged Jared Anderson on those latest rankings. So I don't know what Philip Hergovich does or how that IBF situation plays out. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was of, of the assumption that it was going to be before the Ngannou stuff came along. I thought it was going to be Joshua versus Hergovich. Now, Joshua Ngannou, and I don't know what Hergovich is going to do. He wants to fight for that vacant title if it becomes vacant after February 17th, but that's going to be interesting to watch, see what happens with that version uh, of the heavyweight title. Before we move on to something else, I do want to get your thoughts on Chris Mabili, who is a really, really good 168-pounder. One of the top contenders in that division. Top five ranked, I think, in all four of uh, the sanctioning bodies. He gets a dominant knockout win uh, over Ronan Murdoch. Uh, you know, give Murdoch credit. He took a beating in that fight. Like He stayed on his feet and good for his corner uh, for throwing in the towel what it did. But Christian Mabili, he's just one of those guys that's just got like a relentless motor. He's got good power, great amateur background. So there's a skill set there. Uh, when you look at Mabili, do, what do you see? What kind of contender do you see there? He's fun to watch, Chris. He really is. And as you said, Rohan Murdoch, I mean, kudos to, I mean, the guy showed incredible heart in that fight. That was not good for his long-term health, obviously. No. Uh, the fight should have probably been stopped before it was. I know his trainer did the best job he could to look out for him, but he wasn't winning any rounds or anything, and he took an absolute beating. Um, but Mbili is, is fun to watch. He's great TV, you know, because he comes forward sort of recklessly in most cases and just throws an abundance of punches. He never stops throwing to the head or the body. Uh, he's fun to watch. Now, you're not going to get away with that type of behavior in the ring against Canelo Alvarez or David Benavidez or David Morrell Jr., the types of guys people want to see him fight. But it's fun to watch. Uh, he's built up some sort of fan base in uh, not only quite as big as Better Biev's base, but uh, is becoming popular in Quebec because he's also trained by Mark Ramsey, that he lives and trains in Montreal, fought for France in the, in the 2016 Olympics, originally from Cameroon. Uh, so he's you know kind of uh, an international type of fighter, so to speak. But um, but he's fun to watch, Chris. I don't know that necessarily that he's ranked number one by the WBA and the WBC for Canelo Alvarez's two of Canelo Alvarez's titles. However, there are interim champions for the WBA and WBC, mm -hmm. WBA Morel, WBC Benavidez. Those guys would theoretically get shots at Canelo before Christian Mbili. And honestly, as fun as Mbili is, and he has the number one rankings, well, Canelo Alvarez can make a fortune fighting anyone. Why is he going to fight mm -hmm. Christian Mbili? Not that he would avoid that fight for any reason. I mean, he's, he, Canelo is better. There's no than, point to it. Right, there's right just now. no point. Unless unless somebody came up with a, you know, an enormous amount of money for Canelo to come to Montreal to fight him, which who knows? I mean, any, anything could happen, I guess. But unless that were to happen, I don't see Mbili getting to fight Canelo anytime soon or maybe ever. I could see him maybe fighting David Morrell or Benavidez, or let's say Benavidez beat Canelo. Maybe he would then fight Benavidez at some point. But I spoke to Christian Mbili like a 
I don't know, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago before his fight. And he said, he was very honest, Chris. He said, look, I'm looking to make as much money as possible as soon as possible and get out of this because I don't want to be 35, 40 years old fighting and he's 28. And I applaud his honesty. I mean, he and I would feel the same way. Who I mean, who wants to get punched in the head for a living until you're 38, 39, hanging on for a payday? Unfortunately, we see that too often. But mm. um, but he's being smart about it and hopefully he'll get the right fights to to get out of the sport what he's looking to get. You know, it's it's Canelo Alvarez's prerogative, what he does with his titles. I, I wouldn't mind if he just vacated all of them. Like, he's the undisputed champion at right. 168. There, there's, there's no more prestige in it for Canelo. In fact, the only thing that's really in it for him now is, like, paying sanctioning fees to hold belts when everyone knows you're the number one guy at 168. Like, right. If I'm Canelo, like maybe I keep one title, you keep the WBC belts, you keep that Benavidez stuff alive there towards the end of the year or whatever he wants to do, but let the other belts go, which I think would free up the division to make some really compelling fights. Cause then you start talking about, all right, maybe you do uh Morel versus Mbili for the full title and the WBA's version. I would love, love to see Diego Pacheco and Christian Mbili at some point, you know, mm -hmm. before the end of the year, both those guys, highly ranked uh, by several sanctioning bodies. That's a fun fight. Edgar Berlang is certainly in the mix, you know, for a world title shot at some point. That, that you know, Canelo can do what he wants. He's he's the biggest star in boxing. I, I just don't know what the titles do for him anymore. He he won them. He's defended them. Um, he has no more, nothing more to prove. Like, you know, he's, he's a four-division world champion. He's... He he's got it. he's the man. So I you know I don't I I just feel like he should just walk away from these belts and and in in the interest of boxing it would make it I think a little bit more uh it would open things up a lot more for some competitive fights right and it's like what Josh Taylor did at 140 Chris now a lot of people there's certainly a faction of people who think that Jack Catterall beat him in their fight mm -hmm. but he was still the undisputed champion when he started relinquishing these titles. And when he fought Tiafimo Lopez, he only had the WBO title, yet people still looked at Josh Taylor, despite the outcome of the Catterall fight, as the guy in the 140-pound division, which is now why many people look at Tiafimo Lopez as that guy, because he went in there and beat he, he beat Taylor and convincingly. I mean, he's clearly the WBO champion, and, and um, you know, I spoke to Jermaine Ortiz yesterday, and Ortiz said, yeah, he's the guy. I mean, he beat Taylor. Taylor was the guy. He's the guy. You know, Josh Taylor had made good money in boxing for sure. Nothing near what Canelo Alvarez is making. And, and Josh Taylor had told me last year and many other people, he said, look, I'm not going to continue giving away 12% of my purse and, mm. you know, to four sanctioning bodies. Sometimes they negotiate the fees down, especially with a guy like Canelo, because Canelo's purses are so huge. You start taking out 3% here, 3% there. It's a lot of money. So they Still might- seven figures he's given up. You know, right, but but my yeah. point is, you know, if you're giving away one percent as opposed to three, right. it might make him do it for whatever reason. But like you said, Chris, Pete, no one's uh, no one thinks anything other than that he's the undisputed 168 pound champion. So mm -hmm. for that reason, if he gave up the titles, uh, who cares really? You know, he's just keep the ring belt. You know, no sanctioning fee there. Just keep the damn well, ring belt. I don't, I don't know if he wants to keep the the belt that Oscar company promotes ah, necessarily but point. all right, all right. Well, then <laughs> yeah, create create a belt. it's going to be the that. only one i don't know that that's going to be the have, one have mauricio create a free belt for him like the, the mm -hmm. canelo, canelo championship I, I don't know whatever but like it's it's just he's the man don't don't, and, don't and give, i think 
Chris, don't give Mauricio any ideas, yeah, please. I did that. Please. I did that. That was that was my mistake. Um, so I saw an Instagram post this past week of Bud Crawford back in the gym. Um, yeah, looks like he's back in training for what? I do not know, Keith, because we know now that Errol Spence uh, had surgery to repair some kind of eye issue, cataract issue, I believe is how he framed it. That's undoubtedly going to keep him on the shelf for a period of time. And it's a conversation perhaps for another day, but I, I wouldn't mind if you know Errol Spence walked away. You know, Multiple eye procedures, all the stuff has gone on in his career physically, the kind of things he's gone through, you know, he he doesn't have anything else to prove really either, you know, and hopefully he's made enough money to walk away. But Bud Crawford is not ready to walk away. Bud Crawford wants to fight. And now with Errol Spence and that rematch off the table, at least for now, um, it begs the question of where does Terrence Crawford turn? Now, we've seen Boutenas take to social media to call Errol Spence out. That's a good fight at 147. Teofimo Lopez has decided to throw his name into the mix by criticizing, you know, doing the old, that, that old game against Bud Crawford where he criticized his opponents, which uh, didn't work out all that well for Errol Spence. Uh, but, you know, we're now kind of in that weird spot where we wonder what's next for Bud Crawford. So what do you think the list looks like? What do you think the short list is going to look like for Bud Crawford, who is still affiliated with PBC and, um, you know, is going to be looking for a big fight probably sometime in the first half of the year? It's hard to say, Chris, because I don't know what to make of Spence at this point. Spence hasn't come out and said, I'm going to be out six months, a year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, and if you don't know definitively when Errol Spence is intending to fight again, it's hard to say what the next move for Crawford is. As unfair and unfortunate as that is for Crawford, he's contractually obligated to this to this rematch. Now, there are there is language in that contract that he might be able to attack so to speak because of the you know if, if we get into march and he's and he doesn't have a fight planned well but it would be terrible for terence crawford coming off the career defining victory that he had in july to not fight for another year that's not what he was looking to happen or to have happen for him so uh it's not fair to crawford but he is contractually obligated to this rematch so if spence wants the rematch and let's just say i can he says i can start training in two months and they could do the fight in I'm just throwing months out there, yeah. June, June or July or whatever. Not ideal for Crawford, but he might be kind of forced to do it. Um, he he doesn't want that. He doesn't see any. And I understand where Terrence is coming from. He feels like there's no real reason for the, other than the contractual commitment. There's no reason for this rematch to happen. He decisively won. And to your point about Spence, Chris, he took a brutal beating in that fight. Um, I would prefer to see Errol Spence go enjoy his money, go enjoy his mm. ranch in Texas, enjoy his kids. Um, he's been an elite level fighter for a long time. Yeah, yes, made some mistakes in his personal life and the, you know, driving under the influence and all that kind of stuff. But I think at heart is a good kid and uh, gave a lot of himself to, to boxing, particularly in this in this Crawford fight, left a lot of himself in the ring, unfortunately, that night. So I would prefer to see Errol Spence just kind of call it a career. I don't think he's going to do that. Um, do you have to wonder, Keith, let me ask you this. Do you have to wonder about Errol Spence's ability to get licensed, you know, at this point? Because the amount of damage he's taken to the above the neck area, let's just yeah. say, whether it's the car accident that busted up his jaw, knocked out his teeth. Like we said, the multiple eye procedures now, I mean, that's that's legit. And 
tack on just the savage beating he took at the hands of Terrence Crawford. I think whatever commission is in charge of, of, of licensing here, which presumably would be the Nevada commission where a rematch like that would take place. I think they're going to have to take a long and hard look at Errol Spence to decide if it's safe to license Errol Spence, not just in a fight, but in a fight against someone like Terrence Crawford again. Right. Well, I, if you're licensed, you're licensed, whether you're fighting Terrence Crawford or Mickey Mouse, I guess. But I understand your point. Hey, Chris, don't tell Tony understand. Weeks that. Don't <laughs> tell Tony Weeks oh. that. Okay. Boy, All how right. much time do we have for that? No, Jesus. We do not. We do, um, we do not. Uh, but as it relates to Spence, though, I think he's going to may, maybe already has even undergone a, a significant battery of tests at, at a high level medical facility, which he did before, after the car accident, after the uh, detached retina. You know, Al Heyman ca does care about it. You know, I know people don't know much about Al Heyman because he doesn't speak publicly and all that kind of stuff, but he does care about these guys. And Spence is one of his guys that he really holds near and dear. Not that he doesn't look out for the safety of the other guys, but he really cares about Spence um, and, and was adamant about him getting all this testing done before he was licensed to fight after the other things that happened to him. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that would be the path that they take again, uh, to make sure that he's as okay as you, as okay as you can be to fight after all of the trauma that he's been through over the last four years or whatever it is. Right. That's why I said, Chris, that I would prefer that he would walk away and not box anymore because you keep tempting fate, man. I mean, you know, Something bad's going to happen at some point, and you just don't want that. I mean, he's, I think Errol's, what is he, 30, uh, 33, Mid 34, so yeah, whatever, yeah. 33, whatever it is. Um, yeah, you know, hopefully have 40, 50 years to live and mm. and have enough money to to do kind of what you want with your life and everything. And you would just, I would hope that he would do that. I don't think that he's going to because these guys, you know, the competitor, and he's not going to want to walk, whether he fights Crawford next or not. He's not going to walk want to walk away from what was a very good career before July 29th, having that as the lasting memory of people seeing him in the ring. Now, yeah, it could wind I, up I, ending worse, unfortunately, but. Well, yeah, yeah that's the point. Like, I, I mean, if he were to come back, if I'm advising him, it would be to come back in a low level fight first. If you're going to move up to 154 yeah. pounds, come back in a low level fight, see how you feel, see how you look. If you think you still got it, okay, then we can reconvene and talk about Terrence Crawford, who, look, is still going to be out there, you know, looking for a big payday if Errol Spence represents that. But going, let's say they make this fight hypothetically for like September. I, I don't see this fight going any differently at 47 or 54. And coming off another eye procedure, it, it just feels like that, you know, you, you are throwing caution to the wind and you, 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 you do stuff like that too often and and you wind up in in really dark places and you have some yeah. some bad things that tend to happen. I hate to see that to happen to Errol Spence who had a great career. Chris, uh, the thing is you're a thousand percent right from a physical standpoint to get him in the ring with a much lesser opponent than Terrence Crawford to see where he's at. But you can't do that to Terrence Crawford because right. he can't just sit around and wait for Errol Spence to go figure himself out in another fight he would then have to get another fight. And then there are too many things that could go wrong if they fight other people from Spence's perspective that would then eliminate the rematch as a possibility. He could lose, let's just say, if he if he's completely shot or whatever, he could lose. Or let's just say Terrence Crawford goes and gets another fight and that fight is Canelo Alvarez and he moves up 
you know, three weight classes or four, four, or four weight classes, whatever. Um, and he loses. Well, then Terrence Crawford isn't the Terrence Crawford who's coming off a career defining destruction of Errol Spence. So it's a, it's a tricky game to play from a contractual standpoint. So I don't know how they'll go about it. My best guess is they're going to try to see if they can make it next. I hope someone talks Spence out of it because I know why he wants the rematch because he wants to prove that he's much better than he showed July 29th. At the same time, it's just based on what happened entirely too dangerous and frankly unnecessary because Terrence Crawford already proved his, whatever was wrong with Spence going into the fight. That's not Terrence Crawford's fault. So he's already proved his superiority over Errol Spence, whatever, you know, that's why it's almost like, uh, Chris, they're going back to this, not that Joshua was making any excuses or anything, but they're like, well, if Usyk wins, you know, he gets his third chance at Usyk. I mean, yeah, Joshua gets his third chance at Usyk. Why? He already beat him. How many was he have to fight him seven times? He already beat him twice. Like, why? Does, ben Davison is what they'll tell you, Keith. Ben well, Davison. And I'm not I'm trying kidding. to. I'm, I'm playing devil's I'm not, advocate. Yes. I, I'm not trying to. Joshua, you know, he's a superstar. And, and I'm not saying he should never fight for a title again. That's why you almost hope that Fury wins from that perspective. So we could finally see Fury fight Joshua. But if Usyk wins and then you're trying. How are you building an Usyk Joshua three? How are you doing that? Based on what? It's tough. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, this is a conversation for another day. But I'm guess my, my prediction is Joshua looks really good against Ngannou because I I think Ngannou is will have a much more difficult time with an Anthony Joshua than he did with a Tyson Fury just based on styles. Um, and I guess if you're coming off a three fight win streak in 2023, a knockout win over Francis Ngannou in early 2024, you play the Ben Davison card publicly. I, I guess you could sell it to a degree. Not not to say that it's I, I don't disagree with what you're saying there, that it's 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 a far better scenario for everybody if Tyson Fury wins uh to do that fight. But I guess you could spin it as new and improved, Anthony Joshua. <laughs> I get yeah. Look, he's looked very good recently, Chris. I'm not disputing yeah. that. I mean, he tore through Otto Wallin like I don't think most people thought that he would. Not that he wouldn't win, but he wouldn't quite do it like that. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, you know, the Hellenius fight was what it was. He took the fight on less than one week's notice. That's mm -hmm. Dillian White's fault. That's not Joshua's right. fault. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to, to to criticize Joshua. I mean, he's a star and he's a former champion. And just, I would prefer to, if it were, I know it doesn't mean as much, but I would prefer to see him fight Hergovich just to see how he fares against a guy who can punch. And a guy who would be a big, well, I don't know how huge of a step up because he did beat Jalei uh, Zhang, so... Um, narrowly, but he did beat him, and, and Zhang is at that level now. So, but I would I would prefer to see Hergovich Joshua if it were me, just to see him fight someone different. I'd love to see Hergovich fight. I think it's a great fight. Both those guys can punch. Um, both those guys have skill. I think that ends in a knockout one way or the other. I think that's a, a tremendous fight. Um, so if a Fury fight's not there, I would certainly rather see uh, Joshua go up uh, against Philip Hergovich. Just to put a button though on the Crawford conversation. Um, let's say Spence isn't available. Like, you know, he's, he's not going to fight for three months, six months. Is there an obvious fight to make for, uh, you know, for Terrence Crawford? Because you could go the Boots Ennis route. I mean, for the purest among us, that's a terrific fight because Boots is arguably right there. The number two guy behind Crawford at 147. Teofimo, interesting fight. I think that would be a marketable fight because of how Teofimo would, would sell it. I think Devin Haney's an interesting fight too. And, 
I think Devin's going to have some decisions to make now that top rank has signed Sandro Martin because they're going to try to force a purse bid on that one. And I, I don't know who wants to see Sandro Martin go up against Devin Haney for that WBC title. So if you're Terrence Crawford and let's just take Spence off the table, uh, do you try to do a deal for Canelo? Is that just impossible at this point? Or do you look at some of these lesser names that are interesting fights, but probably don't bring those same kind of paydays? Yeah, from Crawford's perspective, he wants Canelo, and that's understandable. It's the, the biggest payday available for him. He's coming off this incredible career-defining win, but he would have to move up three weight classes. I know he says he has you know, difficulty making 147 as well, maybe not as much trouble as Spence, but he but he would prefer to move up if he could too. Mm -hmm. He's not fighting Jerron Ennis. He's already said it multiple times. He, he's not doing it. He said, what does he bring to the table for me? Look, people can make of that what they want. They can criticize Crawford if they want, but he's not doing it. I mean, he's not, he's made it perfectly clear that yeah, and he's got what, like one or two happening. fights probably left tops. Like he's looking to cash in of these last two. Right. And, and, and he's deserves that. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he went and, you know, he, he did what he had to do to make the Spence fight happen. He beat Spence. Now, of course he's contractually obligated to the immediate rematch, but if it doesn't happen, I understand why he wants Canelo. Um, Tim zoo, in my opinion, is a more winnable fight for him. And it would only require him to move up seven pounds. Uh, Tim Zhu seems open to that. If Crawford's willing to go to Australia where it would be a bigger fight, I think there's uh, there's a greater likelihood that it will happen. And why wouldn't Crawford? If, if you're going to pay Crawford a lot of money to go over there, what is he? Because he, look, Crawford's a, a killer, man. Like he's going to, in his mind, he thinks he's going to go over there and just run right through Tim Zhu. He's not thinking like, <laughs> if it goes to the cards, I might not get a fair shake. He's not thinking of any of that. Crawford is a as a as one of the nastiest fighters with one of the uh more incredible killer instincts that that we've ever seen right i mean knocked everybody out at welterweight right. like he has a reason right. to believe right. that of, of yeah. course no no absolutely and and he's got that killer instinct where he wants to take people out so i don't think he would it it would, might not be the top choice to go to australia to fight tim zoo but if you pay him enough mm -hmm. i don't think he would i don't think he would shy away from that and that's a good that's a really good fight for him because he could fight Charlo, of course, but you need Charlo to go get a real win. I mean, you can't bring yeah. Charlo into a Crawford fight off of what happened against Canelo. You can't do that. You can't build that fight. And I think the legal issues with Charlo are going to sideline him for a little while, too. At least, you know, could be. Yeah, maybe could not be. because of them specifically, but I I'm not sure who's going to be looking to put him on. That, that's a good point, Chris. Yeah. You know, while, while that stuff is going on around him. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Crawford does. I, you know, he's back in the gym. I think he wants to fight. Will he wait for Spence? Does Spence want to do that fight as early as the summer? I don't know, but uh, that's something uh, I think that's certainly uh, worth watching. Um, two quick things before I let you go. Uh, the AJ Ngannou fight was announced this past week for March 8th in Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, the, the Ngannou Fury fight was roundly criticized in part because Tyson Fury was the recognized heavyweight champion. Uh, in the aftermath, it looked a lot different because, you know, Francis Ngannou looked really good in that fight, knocked Tyson Fury down, was highly competitive. That was a debatable decision, certainly at the very end. Um, what's your feeling on AJ Ngannou? Is it, do you have the same feeling you had going into Fury Ngannou? Are you okay with it? it, it maybe because AJ is not a heavyweight champion. How do you feel about this fight going into it? 
Well, Chris, I don't think anyone sensible could have the same opinion of it going in that you had for Fury and Ganu because people thought that Ngannou didn't belong in the ring with Tyson Fury for obvious reasons, and he proved that he did. So if Joshua were somehow sidestepping a real fight to do this, maybe he would draw some criticism. But I don't really see how you could criticize him at this point because the deal was already in place for him to fight Deontay Wilder. And I had said a million times on your podcast that I thought that Joshua really didn't want to fight Deontay Wilder and probably never would. Turns out I was wrong about that because they had a deal in place for them to fight March 8th. So mm -hmm. he was willing to do it. It's not his fault that Deontay Wilder went into the ring against Joseph Parker and did, well, I'm not really sure what he did, but he, but he didn't try to win. That's for sure. Uh, with a huge payday on the line. I'm not really sure what he was doing on December 23rd, but he, he, he blew he, the Joshua he boxed. fight. He, he, like, that, I, that I, was, I like that was, that was Scott. boxing. I'm just saying, but I, I like Malik Scott, but Deontay Wilder was boxing like Malik Scott, the boxer in there. And that that's not, well, I don't know what he was doing, but he, he looked like he was, he was wary of getting hit. That certainly seemed to be the case to me. Mm -hmm. Knew he was giving away rounds and had always relied on, detonating one of those right hands and, and knocking yeah. someone out that just never happened uh he just didn't i don't know he was uninspiring uh i don't know he just didn't i don't to some degree look like he just wanted to get through the 12 rounds without getting knocked out uh whatever the case is it relates to aj you can't blame that on him he was going to fight wilder on march 8th and now he wants to fight the winner of fury and Usyk, which we just discussed a couple minutes ago mm -hmm. So if he if he fights Nganu in between, who almost beat the undefeated WBC champion, who's let's not get started on the lineal nonsense, but he's considered the lineal heavyweight champion, he almost beat him. Mm -hmm. So if if Joshua fights him four and a half months, whatever it is, four months later, I, I don't have a problem with that. If if the Saudis are willing to pay all this money, you know somewhere between 35 and $40 million altogether for Joshua and Ganu to fight. Good for them, you know, I guess particularly good for Ngannou, man. I mean, this guy, th think about this. And Eddie Hearn was saying this at the press conference the other day and last week and everything. This guy stepped into a sport in which he had never competed. And they're like, well, how about you fight Tyson Fury in your first fight? And of course, the 10 million had a lot to do with it. But he's like, yeah, sure, I'll go fight Tyson Fury, no problem. And then... And then they're like, well, why don't you go fight Joshua next? He's like, yeah, sure. We had guys in the heavyweight division that wouldn't fight Fury and Joshua over a 10-year period. This guy's doing it in four months. I mean, look, kudos to him, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And look great yeah, against part him. Of, part of it was the way Fury sure, looked, yes. of course. But, uh, but at the same time, he put Fury on his ass yes. and showed and that he showed, belonged in the ring. You know? And showed more boxing skill than any of the – crossover MMA fighters have up until this point. Chris, I got to give them credit because there is no doubt in my mind that those videos that they very intentionally posted were just oh, trolling phony. everyone, right? <laughs> and 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 a lot of people bought into it. They're like, is this guy this bad? Is this I think possible? Tyson bought into it. Right. Is this guy this bad? Like, you know, and he ain't, he ain't that bad. No, that's for sure. No, you know? he could wind up like, because no matter what happens with Joshua, I think there's still some viability to a Fury rematch. He could wind up in professional boxing 0-3 and make more money than like 98% of professional boxers will in their, in right. their careers. Right. And like, good for him. Seriously. And, and Chris, good for him, man. I mean, the guy, yes. the, the guy in story. UFC underpays their fighters at the top level. 
Uh, so he's making up for he's making up for lost time here in the in these fights. But I, I I would expect Joshua to beat him, but I expected Fury to beat him too. So who right. the hell knows, right? Uh, right? What I hope happens though, Chris, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I hope that that Fury beats Usyk, and and that's no foregone conclusion. But I hope that that happens, and then Joshua beats Nganu, and we finally see Joshua Fury. Yeah, because we already seen the, the other. Yeah. Which is the fight, no question. As far as Joshua Ngannou goes, I have no problem with it because Ngannou's stock right now is sky high. Like they, mm-hmm. it, It's a completely different perception of Ngannou going into this fight than it was going into the Fury fight. And if you're Joshua, there's an upside here. Not just financial, because obviously that's huge. But if you knock out France Ngannou, you will have done what Tyson Fury did. And it gives you a little bit more juice going into a potential fight with Fury uh, in the summertime. So no issue whatsoever with this fight ultimately being made. Lastly, on that undercard, got a guy that is making a pretty strong case to being as dangerous as anybody in the heavyweight division. Jay Li Zhang was going to take on Joseph Parker, who was coming off that win over uh, over Deontay Wilder. I got to tell you, Keith, I spent some time recently with Zhang in your backyard in New Jersey. This guy's just growing on me, man. Like, I, I just hearing his story and um, and seeing what he's gone through to get to this point. It sounds crazy to think that a fighter at age 40 is peaking, but I believe that about Jay Li Zhang because he spent so much time in that Chinese amateur boxing system. He had such a hard time early in his pro career when he was working with Rock Nation and he wasn't getting the kind of fights he needed. He probably wasn't getting the kind of training he needed until Sean George rejoined his team in uh, 2015, 2016, whatever that was. Uh, had that bizarre fight with Jerry Forrest that had more to do, I think, with Zhang outside the ring than anything that was going on with him inside the ring. Then has a life-and-death fight with Philip Pergovich, who at the time was like the boogeyman in the division. Nobody wanted to fight Philip Pergovich back then. Uh, and then follows it up last year with back-to-back titanic wins over Joe Joyce, the latter of which was ridiculous the straight right hand that put joe joyce down face first on the canvas this is a guy keith that at 40 like i'm not going to make the foreman comparison because foreman was a different fighter but foreman was the kind of guy that was strong durable great power in his 40s i can see jaylee jong having that type of run over these next couple of years because he's a southpaw with a wicked left hand obviously based on the joyce second fight he's got a wicked right hand He's got a great chin. Uh, I think this guy's going to make some noise in 2024. I think I think Parker's going to be in for a tough night fighting uh, fighting Jay Lee Zhang. Chris, from a personal perspective, I'm just really happy to see this happening because Lou Duva told me, the late Lou Duva mm-hmm. told me a, lo- a long time ago, more than 10 years, almost probably 10 years ago, when they signed, uh, you know, Dino, Dino Duva, Lou's son, was the front man for the promotional company that signed uh, Jay Lee Zhang. Uh, Meng Fan Long and uh, two other Chinese prospects that they brought over together from the Chinese Olympic team. Um, and they told me he they thought he was a future heavyweight champion. And Evander Holyfield was involved in the promotion because of his longstanding relationship with Lou and everything. And they really, you know, they really thought that Jalei Zhang could be a heavyweight champion. They firmly, firmly believed that. And it took a long time. And he took a meandering route to get to where he is right now. And some of it, frankly, Chris, was his fault. You know, I've been interviewing him for 
nine years or 10 over at this gym, same gym, Patterson, New Jersey, mm-hmm. ain't the nicest place in the world. Uh, in, a, in an industrial section in Patterson in a gym, true warriors, boxing gym has been there for a long time. He didn't always put everything into training mm-hmm. and he, and he used to smoke packs of cigarettes a day. A professional athlete used to smoke cigarettes. It's insane. So, and he came from China where the air quality is not good to begin with. And he smoked and I don't think he had the best wind, I guess is the best way to put it. And they Mm -hmm. put him, they put him with a really good strength and conditioning coach, Mark Puttenvink, a guy from Jersey who's worked with the uh, New Jersey Devils and New York Rangers and everything, you know, respected guy in boxing and everything. I just don't think that he took the strength and conditioning part of it as seriously, seriously as he should have. And that was reflective in his performances and why he didn't ascend to where he is now. Then he has since taken that much more seriously. And Sean George, in my opinion, I've known Sean for a very long time. He's married to Lou Duva's granddaughter, Casey, uh, was a light heavyweight contender himself way back when. One of the most underrated trainers in boxing and has done a fantastic job with Jalay because he's very technically sound and he can Really punch, as you said, Chris, not only with his left hand, but as you showed in the Joe Joyce rematch with that right hook, he made a flattened a guy, you know, who had had an iron chin before they fought the first time. And I think he's a top five heavyweight now. And I think, you know, on the right night, he could pretty much beat anyone, which is pretty incredible, considering that he'll be 41 years old, I believe, in the beginning of May. And he's mm-hmm. just kind of ascending to his peak right now. But he and Chris, you spent time with him. You've been around him. He's six six, like a legit 280. And when you see him with his shirt off, he used to kind of look flabby and everything. He doesn't look like that anymore. No. You know, so he so he's a sculpted. Now look, he's not Anthony Joshua sculpted, but but he's in much better physical condition than he ever was. And I think that's been a big part of why he has finally realized his potential. And as you said, I think he's going to beat Joseph Parker. And then I think people are going to avoid him, frankly. Kudos to Parker, man. I mean, Parker goes and beats Deontay Wilder, who's the supposedly the most pulverizing puncher of this era. And then they're like, oh, how about you fight this guy next? Who, uh, by the way, knocked the shit out of the guy who knocked you out. <laughs> yes. And Joseph Parker's like, Twice. yeah, sure. Parker's yes, like, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, no problem. So yeah. credit to Parker for taking this fight, but I don't Parker's see Parker's got a lot of confidence right now. I mean, yeah. that, that partnership with Andy Lee has really worked for, for Joseph Parker. And I, I think activity has been a key to Parker's success as well. Like he fought four times last year. So he's been... Right. Right. His confidence has been growing. When it comes to Zhang, like if he winds up beating Joe, Joseph Parker in emphatic fashion, uh, yeah, there'll be fighters that are avoiding him. But I remember when Eddie Hearn signed that co-promotional deal with uh, Rock Nation to promote Zhaili Zhang. And, and all I heard back then was, can we get it to the point where we do a fight in Beijing? Like how mm-hmm. big would a fight with Zhaili Zhang be in Beijing? They want to do it at that Beijing stadium, the bird's nest out there and i i can see something like that happening like you know Zhang, you know and in, in, in my reporting on him over the last couple of months like his, his profile is growing exponentially you know in the last year or so over in china so you know if he gets one or two more big wins uh or even just one or two more wins with his parker one and maybe another one in the summer you start talking end of the year doing a big event over in china there's gonna be a lot of money on the table and at that point yeah. i don't think guys are going to avoid him i think they'll want that payday to fight him Right. And he's fought in China as a professional before, you know, they yeah. did bring him over there uh, for obviously much lower level fights. Right. And of course, there are so many people in China. The thing is, they're not conditioned to pay for sport like pay-per-view type of sports, mm-hmm. because I think his uh, 
the first yeah. fight against Joe Joyce was available on some sort of app or something. It's basically but they only what, it, like what, what it was or something like that. Yeah, what it was was the the Chinese version of TikTok, I guess. And yeah, mm. yeah, it was available for a buck. But from what I heard from is it you isn't know, TikTok John's, the Chinese version of TikTok? It's some uh, it's some <laughs> oh, social yeah, media yeah. app. No, it's no, not, I'm, yeah, I'm right. talking about the spying and all. I'm joking. Yeah, but, yeah, I got um, you. The the. the but yeah, it was available for a buck. But what I heard was it was pirated all over the place. So it's and it, and at an odd time too, right? Because they're yeah. you know the, the time difference in China and everything. Right. But they do think that they could make real money out of it. And from what I was told by Jule's team was that uh, they did explore doing the Joyce rematch in China, and mm -hmm. I, the financials didn't for whatever reason didn't work out. And right. maybe maybe Joyce didn't necessarily want to go you know go to China to fight him for the re I'm not really sure about that. But yeah. if what I do know is before all this Saudi money came along, if there was a way that that fight would have been much more beneficial financially for Frank Warren to take it to China as opposed to having it in London, oh well, he probably would have done it. Mm -hmm. You know, so but you're but, you're, think, but you're right though about bringing a fight there eventually. And I don't think you can underestimate, you know, the Chinese government wanting to put up money for it, if for no other reason than to showcase, hey, we've arrived when it comes to boxing, because China mm -hmm. has had some sporadic boxing success. Right. We all remember Zhu Xiaoming's run with sure. top rank. Meng Feng mm -hmm. Long had a middling kind of run uh, over uh, stateside, but you know, this would be a perspective heavyweight champion and i think china would probably want to get behind that and and support putting a fight like that together i think it'd be great i mean whether it's joshua fury Usyk, whoever it may be like end of the year a zhang versus top contender guy for a heavyweight title in china would be a pretty cool event that would be one of those spectacles and chris i think uh you learned this when you spent some time with him uh i think you went shooting with him you went somewhere with we him. shot guns we did keep uh, we shot guns well, that was a that was not my most comfortable interview i will say that being in in that he's, room. he's he's never even mentioned guns to me in all the times i've interviewed him thankfully and most of our interviews have been maybe at a restaurant a couple of times but yeah. like at a gym so there were never any guns mentioned thankfully but he's a fun guy man like he, he like is he, he understands english better now because he's lived here in bloomfield new jersey practically for 10 years or so so he understands english he can speak it a little bit but he's got a good sense of humor i mean this guy's he a, he's a fun dude i mean sean will tell you that uh kurt his trans you know his translator and his kind of liaison to the boxing side of it here in the u.s uh, he, he's he's an interesting guy with a with a pretty big personality so hopefully people will get to see that Yes, and uh, thank you for that teaser, Keith, because that story will be in the magazine next week. So, oh, I thought it, and oh, buy. I thought it. No, ran, we I thought, we he wrote it like six months ago. Jesus Christ! I know it's a monthly magazine now, Keith. We've got to, you know, <laughs> got to build towards these things. I'm doing like nice. the Olympic preview right now, so it's you know we're getting there. Wow. <laughs> Keith, always appreciate the time, my friend. Follow Keith Idek on Twitter at Idek Boxing. Read all his stuff over at BoxingScene.com. Always good to catch up, man. Same here, Chris. I appreciate it, man. And when we come back, my conversation with Michaela Mayer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your life sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. All right. Michaela Mayer is the former unified 130-pound champion. On Saturday, she will attempt to become a two-division world champion when she takes on Natasha Jonas for a 147-pound title. That's a fight you can watch here in the U.S. on ESPN+. And Michaela joins me here on the show still as we speak out in Las Vegas. You were a Colorado person, Michaela, for a long mm-hmm. time. Now you have fully embraced the Vegas, it seems like. Yeah, you know, uh, I, after the Olympics, it seemed like it, Colorado was an okay place to stay because you had a lot of pros doing their camps out there, you know, Crawford, of course, Stevenson and um, so I would fall in with them and you had the altitude, which was a huge advantage, but slowly, but surely everyone's making their way over here to Vegas. And this has become like the capital of the Mecca where everyone's training. So I've done my whole year of camps here. It's my last two fights. Um, but right before the last one, bought a house out here, made the move hundred percent because I knew this was going to be a big year for me. And I wanted to have, you know, all my ducks in a row and just everything that I need in one place and ready to go. You post a lot of video of you training at that UFC performance center. And we see a lot of boxers working out there. Um, how useful is a place like that for you in, in preparing for a fight? It reminds me of my days at the Olympic training center where you just had everything you needed right there, you know? So I can go there, I can get all the treatment that I need for the week with my physical therapist. And I, they set me up with a great strength coach who I've worked with my last three fights. Um, Gavin Pratt, love him. Probably one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. And just one-stop shop. So I got all that, you know, my nutritionist, my nutritionist is out here, um, you know, Coach K and DLX. So I really just got everything in one place. Um, and yeah, I love the the UFCPI. It's been great for me to have. In, in Colorado, it's easy to avoid the trappings of the nightlife. How have you... Have you succeeded in avoiding the trappings of the Vegas nightlife? <laughs> uh, yeah, not a lot of temptation in Colorado, especially where I was living <laughs> up on the mountain. It's pretty peaceful, but um, a little lonely out there. So <laughs> this is actually, a, I've said, you know, you don't really go to the strip much when you're living in Vegas. And uh, that really hasn't been an issue, but it has been a little bit more fun, you know, because there's more gyms here, different spawners, more activity, more people throughout the gym. You know, I got a bigger team that I'm working with. 
Um, so just slower activity. It, it got a little bit slow sometimes in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I moved out here is because I want to make sure I'm busy and staying fit and in the gym in between camps. And, uh, you know, when you're doing that day in and day out, you can become monotonous and boring. So this gives, uh, you know, switches it up and makes it more fun. How is your your coach, Al Mitchell, doing? I saw you post a, a picture of him in the hospital recently. How is he doing health-wise? He's doing good. You know, he's had kidney problems and heart problems uh, for a while now. And he just, you know, now that he's under my roof, he's hydrating properly and, and eating right up on him. But when he gets by himself and over the holidays, I think he went a little too crazy on the sweets. So I uh, <laughs> got to keep his diet right make sure he's, staying hydrated and uh, all good. He was in and out in a couple of days. They just wanted to monitor and do all the tests and make sure he was, you know, nothing crazy. That's good to hear. Um, you mentioned the U.S. Training Center and you're working out there. And and I want to get to your fight, but I do want to get your reaction to the big news in amateur boxing, which was USA Boxing announcing last month that transgender women will be allowed to compete. You are a former Olympian. I know you still maintain ties to USA Boxing. You recently commented uh, for Peacock on a USA Boxing event. Uh, what was your reaction to these guidelines being posted? Because they did seem to generate pretty strong reaction uh, from yeah. women in boxing. You know, my thing is, when something like this comes about, you really have to look at the facts. I think a lot of emotion gets involved, but whether you support the LGBTQ plus movement or not, this is straight illegal. You cannot have hormone therapy in sports. It's illegal. So by default, and I tweeted this, by default, trans athletes should be ineligible for competition, period, point and blank. Doesn't matter how you feel about the situation. Um, and, you know, sport, we try so hard to create this evil level, evil level playing field, right? Classes and, you know, all these rules and guidelines. And um, this just completely disrupts that. So there's, there's so many factors that go into it. We can go on and on about it. I mean, going through puberty, there's really nothing we can do to replace what puberty does or what let's talk about hand size, right? Or lung capacity or bone density. There's so many arguments, but bottom line, we want to make one argument. Hormone therapy is banned and there can't be an exception because you're trans. So at this point, um, and I'm a supporter of the community, but you have to choose between your sexuality, your sexual preference and your, um, and your sport at this point, you have to protect the, the rights of the other athletes. You know, there's, there's not right now, a huge transgender women's boxing movement afoot. It's it's you're not going to see a run of transgender women in 2024, even 2028. But one of the concerns that I've heard and read from women athletes is that it's more about 10 years from now and 20 years from now when more trans women uh, could be looking to compete. Is that something you think about the next generation of women's boxing? Yeah, I agree with that. I'm sure there's a handful of athletes who are transgender who um, have a love for boxing and have maybe thought about it. And we may see, uh, you know, a group of them try try to step forward and do it. But for the most part, um, I think this is this is an issue for the next generation. Also, the younger generation, because someone like me, I have the privilege of saying, absolutely not. I will not fight you. I cannot support this um, and take a stance. Because I have, I'm in position to do that, you know. But a young and up and coming boxer who has trained ass off for this tournament and spent money to be there, and their dream relies on winning this fight. 
they don't have the privilege of saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take a stance because then they're jeopardizing all of their dreams and everything they worked hard for. So uh, it's definitely up to us, the women who are in power right now and have the position to, to speak up and say something for them. Yeah, it's certainly going to be debated uh, for weeks and months to come. That's for sure. Um, all right, let's talk about you and let's talk about your fight. Your last fight was contested at 142 pounds, your first time fighting above uh, 140. This fight against Jonas, this is at a full 147, correct? Yes. Okay, so let's talk about how you felt fighting last fight at 142. Did you feel like the same fighter in the ring fighting at that new weight? Um, yeah, so I knew I was moving up to 47 a little bit before the public did. But I knew it wasn't something I can just jump and do because it takes a time to reverse what I did to my body down at 130 for my entire career, right? Most athletes move up over time. I never did. I stayed down. Um, and so if I want to be a competitive 140 pounder, I, I needed time to reverse that and put on muscle and do the strength and conditioning. One of the reasons I've been doing my camps out here at the UFCPI and just really focus on that. And then taking that fight at 142 to help, to help the, the process of, of, of getting up there, not just making a big jump. Um, so I think this last year was just like an evolutionary phase. Um, I think I'm going to see everything sort of come together at at this fight at 147 because I've put the work in the last year to sort of build that muscle and get to this position. So yeah, I felt good in my last fight, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not, <clears throat> this last year wasn't that exciting for me. Like it was, I don't feel like it was my best year. And I, I think a part of that has to do with there wasn't anything really on the line. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't being challenged. I wasn't uh, going up against like the names that really inspire me. And these are the type of fights that I want to be in. And I think that, me and Natasha are going to bring the best out of each other. And that's why did you target? Why did you target Natasha Jonas for this fight? I think when you when you made the fight or pushed for the fight, there was already going to be a unification fight between, um, you know, uh, Jessica McCaskill and I forgot who uh, Sandy Ryan. She was going to fight for yeah. the other belts. But was was Jonas the one you kind of wanted all along? Has that been the fight you've been looking at for some time? No. No, to be honest, I mean, when I moved to 35 right uh, right after 130, I planned to fight Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor was tied up. Um, I thought about, okay, maybe 140. Do I go fight Chantel is tied up? Because with Katie, the rematch with Katie. So top rank called me and they said, what do you think about going to 147 and fighting Natasha Jonas? We think we can get that fight done. And they knew I wanted to go to 47 eventually, but I planned on kind of moving up and taking on the other girls in between first. Couldn't happen. This is the most immediate opportunity for me. So I said, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Hmm. And they made it happen. It was easy to make the fight. So it was the easiest opportunity. What What's your history with Natasha Jonas? Have you Did you box her in the amateurs? Do you have some some background with her? Never boxed in the amateur. Never boxed her, no. Um, never sparred her. Uh, you know, she was the Olympian in 2012. I, I was the sparring partner for queen so i was out there i watched her fight queen at the olympics in london um and uh, she's always been around i've seen her at the world i sat next to her at the world championships as we were both getting our uh, bronze medal or waiting to get our bronze medal so um we know of each other but never got up against each other and i never thought i would you know honestly like i said i planned to fight these other girls and move up to 47 slowly but this opportunity just fell into place and i took it She's also a southpaw, and I heard you say this recently that you've never fought a southpaw as a professional. Now, obviously, in the amateur yeah. ranks, you probably fought a bunch of southpaws. It's just how it goes mm -hmm. when you're fighting amateur boxing. But 
as you've been preparing for this fight, how big an adjustment has that been preparing to fight a left-hander? Um, it's just strategic, you know, and I, lucky for me, I have a very strategic corner in Al Mitchell. Um, so it's just, you know, punch selection, you know, certain things that I think are people are standard with when they want to fight a Southpaw, like the standard way. And then there's also ways that we believe are going to work for us. So um, being, being in a team that's really focused on strategy and coming from a technician like coach out. Yeah. It's been very important training for Southpaw, getting the proper sparring partners and all that. So we've been doing well and I, I feel confident. I, I have, but you're right. I haven't fought once as the amateurs, but I'm feeling good about it. Is it important in a situation like this, not to, overthink it like sometimes when, yeah. when at least when i deal with men's boxers and we talk to them about fighting southpaws sometimes i look at them and it's like they're almost overthinking it's like well we're going to make sure we we were so prepared for the southpaw that maybe they get away from what makes them great what makes them yeah. who they are do you, do you have to make sure that you're not trying to do too much different in a, in a fight like this and maintain you know the the special fighter that you are Definitely. You don't want to get caught up in whatever they're trying to do. And Coach Al said that in the beginning. He's like, don't worry so much about being Southpaw fighter, just like you would fight anybody else. Um, and so, yeah, not letting that intimidate you or get in your head, definitely part of the game plan. So, yes, to answer your question. <laughs> don't want to overthink it. <laughs> Fourth fight now for you in a row, for you over in the UK. Could you ever imagine that this was going to be kind of – your path to, to to high level fights, you know, fighting this often over in the UK. No, I mean, no, it's been oh, definitely different. You know, when I coming off that uh, the loss, definitely redirected my career a tiny bit. Um, like I said, it wasn't the wasn't the most exciting me, but it was the the setback that I had to take um, an opportunity to get back in position. So obviously, things don't always play out exactly want them to and my my career is a little bit of an example of that but nonetheless i'm still in a really like blessed opportunity i have like i'm in still a great position still have a great promoter um you know i'm being moved really well and so i got i got a lot to be grateful for the position that i'm in are you having done it so often now is there a level of comfortability there like that you know kind of what to expect when you go over there whether it's something as simple as kind of the you know, the weather or the food or whatever it is, is, is it more comfortable now than maybe it would have been three fights ago? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I've always had really good experiences going over there. Everyone's really nice. It's like in America, when you do certain things, it's like not, not everyone cares because America is so big that things <laughs> just kind of get like brushed around and blah, blah, blah. Everyone cares so much in England. Like they care so much about everything that you do. And so you feel, you feel really appreciated there and the fans like show up so hard for you. Um, I think this will be for me, definitely a first going to her hometown in Liverpool. Um, I don't know exactly how they'll respond to me. Hopefully I'll have some fans there. And I do, but, um, I'm sure the crowd is majority going to majority of the crowd is going to be rooting for her. that'll be something new for me. But, um, you know, at this point I'll take whatever I got to take on my way to that ring. Cause once that bell goes off, I know that all goes out the window and I'll do what I got to do. So you're going for a welterweight championship in this fight. Is your new kind of objective to become undisputed at this weight class? Are you looking to do different things? I mean, what's kind of your mindset with your career at this stage? My goal is to make the biggest fights possible. So, yeah, 
the belts and the weight classes and all that, all that comes with the territory. But to me, the most important thing is making the biggest fights possible against the top girls. Like that's how I, that's how I wanted my career to go. You know, I don't want to have a year where I'm fighting names that don't inspire me. I want to fight top girls and test myself. Um, it only ends to go after the other girls in the, with the belts, right. At the welterweight division. Um, that being said, there's also a handful of girls that don't have belts that are either in the welterweight division or on their way to the welterweight division. Um, Chantel Cameron being one of them who I would love to have a fight with. Uh, you have Lauren Price coming up, but then also, you know, Sandy Ryan would love a fight with her. You have Jessica McCaskill would love a fight with her. I think all these are really, really big fights for me. So I'm open to either one of them as long as the fans are excited about it. Yeah, the belts are a plus and everything, but if the fans are excited about it, the money's there, and it's a fight that we can both make, I want to do that. You know, one of those top women, of course, is Katie Taylor. And I'll admit, I, I was surprised that Katie chose to vacate her lightweight titles and keep the ones really? she had at 140. I mean, I kind of assumed she'd go back to 135 and they'd make somehow find a way to make the Serrano fight happen, even though that fight feels snake bitten for a lot of reasons. I know, I don't point. know what hasn't happened. Yeah, but, but the fact that she kept the is keeping her belts at 140. You two have been circling each other for some time. Did when you heard that and saw that, did that in your mind kind of reopen the door in a way to potentially get a fight with Katie Taylor down the line? God, you know what? I didn't even think about that. But I, you know, physically, I could never go back down to 135, 130. I, I could maybe go back down to 140. It would still be yeah. tough. I'm telling you, what I've done to my body, let myself fill out. 40 would still be tough. But if I had, to, if I would do it for a fight like Katie Taylor, but I didn't even think about that because in my head, she did that in or not necessarily to start fighting at 140 and reigning 140 division. I think she did that strictly for the trilogy with Chantel Cameron, and then I don't know what she'll do after that. Mm -hmm. You don't know at this stage, like she can call the shot, she can do what she wants, she may go back down and challenge Serrano because belts are no belts, so that's still a big fight, right? Who cares? Mm -hmm. Regardless, people want to see it, so. Um, I don't know. I don't see her sticking around at 140 and taking on newcomers. But yeah. if she oh, I mean, here. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't either. I don't see her sticking around taking on newcomers. I, I do think that if she decides to stay at 140, you're on a very short list of the biggest fights you can possibly make if you win this fight yeah. coming up against Natasha Jonas. So all of a sudden it went from like she's at 135, it's never going to happen, to now she's at 140. If she wins a trilogy fight this summer, she and look, and I'm I'm of the opinion that you're gonna have to drag Katie Taylor kicking and screaming out of the ring someday. Like I I think she's going to fight <laughs> until the bitter well, end. Good. I would love for that door to be back open. You know, I've sort of had to shift my focus elsewhere because I couldn't sit around at 135 and wait. And good thing I didn't, because now they have a trilogy and I just would have been wasting my time. So I had to make the move that was best for me. But if if she if she wins a defending if, if she if she beats Chantel in the trilogy, we don't know. Um the two very good fight. So, but if she does and she wants to stick around and, and open to fight with me, yeah, I'd absolutely love that. But, you know, we'll see. Got to get through Tasha first. Before I let you go, um, I I've got to get your take on the new bizarre rivalry between Alicia Baumgartner and Clarissa Shields. I, I this, this I didn't really see coming a couple of months ago to see these two going at it. There was a video posted recently. I'm not sure if you saw it as we're speaking of them on the same plane together and Alicia is taking a video of Clarissa walking down the aisle and they're arguing with each other. Like, what do you make? You know, you, you fought Baumgartner, you're a 
Olympic teammate of Clarissa Shields. Like, what do you make of this rivalry now burgeoning? I honestly think it's just Baumgartner trying to stay relevant. You know, she got herself into some shit with this doping situation. Um, she's been able to manipulate the simps into, you know, believing that she's innocent. But we all know you can't take your own hair follicle test and, and clear your own name. So I think she's just trying to stay relevant. What better way than to call out someone like Clarissa Shields? I mean, right now, Pomgarner's at 130. Clarissa has never fought below or so. Um, you know, we'll see. It seems like unrealistic to me right now. So that's why I think it's just Baumgartner saying, don't forget about me. <laughs> it certainly was a surprise. That's for sure to see, to see that rivalry pop off. Uh, good luck January 20th against Natasha Jonas, 147 pound title on the line. You can watch that in the U.S. on ESPN Plus in the afternoon. Mikhail, always appreciate it. And good luck to you. Thanks. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eidek and Michaela Mayer for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your 5-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.